Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Kos The Brief. We took a summer hiatus, so I'm a little bit out of practice. So let me see if I get this intro just right. <laughs> My name is Marcos Molitsis. I'm here with Kara Salaya. Carrie Elveld is out on maternity leave. She has a baby boy at home, and she should be back in a couple of weeks, but baby's great, Mom is, moms are great, and uh, we're so excited for them. And, uh, but I got to tell you, Kara, she's dying because her bead has been the Republican implosion, and what have we seen these last few weeks but implosion after implosion after implosion? I think that's always the case. The second you take some PTO, it's like your beat starts blowing <laughs> up. <laughs> so that's what our show is going to be about today. We're going to be talking about um, the state of the 2022 midterm election. And we had some, um, we had some election results that actually yeah. really speak towards what's happening in the broader political um, landscape. We're going to be talking about student loans. Yes, my beat. <laughs> we waited and waited. Yeah, and you weren't even off. So I know. We, I'm very we, lucky. We, we waited and waited and waited for him to do so. He has. So we'll be talking about what that means, what the relief looks like, and what the political ramifications are of that. And um, and then Donald Trump, because, you know, Donald Trump exists. He's full of crimes. And he is, uh, last we saw, he was on True Social retweeting QAnon and 4chan, like, the nuttiest of the nuttiest stuff. So he's having a good one. <laughs> oh, always. The most stable. The most stable, most genius. <laughs> always. Always. So, Carrie, you know, we, 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 um, if you know, you've been listening to the show, anybody who's been listening to the show for the last year, know that Carrie and I have really been talking about how 2022 would not be a typical midterm. Yeah. In fact, I want to lead you into this because you said okay. that it would be a watershed moment if and when the Supreme Court overturned Roe. And what are we seeing but people realizing that, you know, folks don't like it when their bodily autonomy rights get taken away. So I, I know that you were the closing, uh, you had a closing keynote at Netroots and you talked about this at length, about what this moment looks like. And so I want to turn it on you and ask you, I'm sure you love hearing it, but you were right <laughs> about yes. this being a red wave. It happens <laughs> The end sometimes. of the red wave. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. Sometimes. So I'll take but, it. But uh, yeah, uh, we covered New York 19 over at the Down Ballot, which is our Daily Coast Elections podcast. And that seems to be like the marker moment of the red wave. And you've been uh, at the end of the red wave and you've been writing about it. So what have you been seeing that really marks that? Yeah. So New York 19th was a congressional. It's a upstate New York, sort of rural-y, but, you know, includes Woodstock and includes yeah. New Paltz, which is a college town. So it's this rural plus liberal swing district mm -hmm. that Republicans ancestrally held. Democrats took it a few years ago. And, uh, and there was an open seat election. And so I don't, I want to put a hold on New York 19. We'll get to New York 19 because we're going to talk about what happened beforehand. And yeah. a year ago, the narrative was 2022 red wave. Mm -hmm. And it, 
was it's conventional wisdom, but it's actually well-supported conventional wisdom. I didn't hate the fact that people believe that because historically the party in the White House loses an average of 30 seats in the House in those midterm elections. The reasons are pretty obvious. The midterm is a referendum on the president and the president gets elected by making promises in our political system makes it like guarantees that nothing will happen. Right. It's it's just this system designed. It was literally, I'm not, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. It was designed for things not to happen. Right. So it's, it's, you're, you're a president, you make promises and, uh, and then you don't deliver. Right. So what happens is the opposition's fired up because you promise all sorts of things you hate. Right. Absolutely. He wants to take (laughs) away our guns. Right. Like, well, uh, it's not going to happen, but, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, just like we, we, we evaluated George Bush or Donald Trump based right. on what they promised. Like that, we're gonna hold them to that, not mm-hmm. what they accomplished, what they promised. The party in power, though, uh, his supporters, and so far, unfortunately, it's always been his. His supporters are either going to declare victory, like we did it, you know, see you in four years, and then they they tune out, or if they're paying attention, like you know, Kara, you and me, and everybody listening to this. You know, you get disappointed, you get disenchanted, you get, you know, frustrated. And those are not wonderful emotions to feel into an election, right? So the other side's fired up. Your side is like, ah, oh, F this. Or they're like, woo, mission accomplished. And also on the heels of a, a global pandemic and four years of Donald Trump, I feel like everyone who is not part of the Trump wing of America is generally exhausted and trying to tune out. So tired, right? They were so happy. Yeah, you heard this a lot, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't have to pay attention to the news anymore. Exactly. And it's like, well, you kind of do. (laughs) That's how how fascism starts. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, uh, bad news. But so that's that's the standard climate. Right. And that's why the party in power loses. Mm -hmm. And it always... and. And you can even see it in the rise of, of oppositional movements, right? The Tea Party rose in response to Barack Obama. The resistance arose in response yeah. to Donald Trump. Uh, during Joe Biden, we have this like CRTs, you know, school board, QAnon. I don't, they don't have a real name, but we know what they look like. They try to take over the, you know, the, the Capitol on January 6th, yeah. the insurrectionist. So, um, so no, normally we'd look at this and go, yeah, oh yeah, this is gonna be tough. How do we minimize the damage? That would have been mm-hmm. the typical, but Carrie and I, from a year ago, we we're like, we saw what was coming, right? So two things, how can you have a referendum on the incumbent president when the last guy won't get off the stage? And when he's a criminal. So, <laughs> I mean, that's just like the cherry on top. I mean, not, we didn't even, I was like, oh, okay. I guess he's given us bonus material to work with. <laughs> Wasn't really expecting that. Right. But the idea is, is, do we have a referendum on Joe Biden or do we have a replay of the 2020 election, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump? So we knew this was going to happen. Right. Um, I didn't, to be fair, I didn't, I didn't know how much of a factor it was going to be, but I knew it was going to be a factor. What I thought and what Kerry and I both, you know, agreed on. Um, and we sort of like made each other like, yeah, you're so right. No, you're so right. What we really saw coming was Dobbs, the abortion decision. And we knew that was going to be completely changed the entire contours of the race. And not only has it done that, but it has done that in a way that I think has lasting political consequences. And uh, I'll put it this way for context. 
conservatives, Republicans, they have two groups of single issue voters, the gun nuts and the abortion nuts, the evangelical abortion nuts, right? They will vote in every single election, no matter what, and they don't care who the candidate is, what other issues are at play. They are singularly tunnel focused on either guns or on abortion. So what does that mean is that in 2016, Donald Trump wins the Republican primary. He was not the choice of evangelicals for all the obvious reasons. He's a moral, you know, um, he's disgusting. Hypocrite. Just, a criminal. Yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Stormy Daniels and all that stuff, right? Like yeah. they like Ted Cruz, right? The evangelicals were all in for Ted Cruz. They looked at Donald Trump when he won a nomination. They're like, you know what? We're still going to support him and we're going to go all out. They didn't care that he was literally diametrically opposed to everything. He couldn't even quote the Bible correctly. He didn't care enough to ask somebody, how do you properly quote a Bible verse? Yeah. Because he didn't care. And these people knew that and had a Democrat done that, it would have been, you know, manufactured outrage for, for months. But they didn't care because abortion. We haven't had that. We tried we tried to make abortion a big issue, but people thought we were like the wolf, you know, boy who cried wolf, right? Like, oh, they always say that Republicans want to take it away, but it never happens. They're just exaggerating. Mm -hmm. And now, obviously, it turns out that we weren't exaggerating. And you're seeing it doesn't matter what's happening with Joe Biden and his approval ratings. They're going up, but you're still like high 30s, low 40s. We're not bragging about Joe Biden. He's not out there, like, motivating our people to get to the polls. Maybe we'll see. I will. I was going to say, I'm like, I think that that'll lead us to our last segment because this yeah. IRA can debt student debt canceling Joe Biden. I'm pretty excited about him. Yeah, so. it, it's it's something's happening. But but when he was in the 30s, like yeah. it should have been over. Like we'd have been like, yeah, he's in the 30s. Like that's worse than Donald Trump. Literally. I think that one of the things that you've been talking about with Dobbs and Roe being this mobilizing boy who cried wolf thing. I know that for our my generation specifically, like I've never lived in a in a in a non-Roe world, right? Like I've always Roe abortion has always been a right that I've known of. And I'm seeing from young people my age that we are seeing the real effects that this has on our lives. Um, as someone who is 31 uh, and I want to like have kids, but not anytime soon, the idea of like not being able to carry to term um, and then possibly dying from from yeah. pregnancy is something that I think millennials specifically who are right now in their child like childbearing years are learning is a real real thing and it's an endlessly motivating factor so maybe we can start to organize around that a little bit more to your point that no, you were at yeah it's absolutely happening I mean we saw that in Kansas where you know several hundred thousand women registered to vote beforehand they they didn't have a reason to vote before because mm -hmm. of abortion, now they have a reason to vote, right? And, and we're seeing that in uh, Target Smart is, is they do modeling of electorates for Democratic campaigns, very data uh, organization. They've been looking at new registrations in all the battleground states. And uh, for example, in, um, in Pennsylvania, it's, it's half of the new registrations, and it's a big uptick, yeah. are, are women under the age of uh, 29, Wow. I mean, it, it's, it's just like mind blowing. Like these are people that just don't had no reason to vote, had mm -hmm. no reason to engage. Uh, when you look at the partisan breakdown of those voters, it's like five to one Democratic. Wow. And even the men, you know, again, I think it was like 43 percent of men were, were, you know, that younger under 29 demographic. And even they were two to one Democratic. And, you know, we know that men are generally not Democratic. If you, yeah. Statistically speaking. Yeah. So. 
we are seeing the rise of the single issue abortion voter, which and peripherally, not as big, but also on guns. We just, you know, I've been looking at some data that shows that there are some new like single issue uh, gun control voters as well. I don't think they're very they're not abortion. Abortion has the has the chance to really reshape elections moving forward. And what that means is that Republicans can scream about Joe Biden. Nobody cares. And we've seen that actively, like we've seen it. They can scream about the uh, price of gas. You know, yeah. people don't care. They can scream about inflation. They don't care. Now those markers are coming down. So even that's going against the Republicans, but it doesn't even matter. That's, that's the part that's absolutely amazing. So here's, the, here's the, the numbers. This is the part that just blows my mind. This is not polls. We have polls. I can cite polls about how well we're doing. We don't need to. We can look at elections. All right. Last year, if you look at the aggregate elections in 2021, Republicans were outperforming the 2020 Donald Trump numbers by six points. Wow. So they were six points to the right of Donald Trump. Now, remember, 2020 was 50-50, right? Like, we barely won the White House. You know, everything was, we barely won the Senate, 50-50 Senate, barely won the House. Six points over, that's landslide territory. Yeah. That, that looks like you're typical. The first, I think it was four months of this year, 2022, there was a handful of special elections. Republicans outperformed their 2020 numbers by nine points. So now oh we're talking God. like <laughs> 50, you know, losing 50 seats. This is like 2010, like right. just catastrophe. Even then, Carrie and I were like, mm, nope, not going to be, you know, this is going to be different. It's going to be different. And I got to so, tell you, from sitting in Virginia, I was getting nervous. I was listening and oh. co-producing the brief. And I was like, if you say so, I hope so. Oh, <laughs> and to be very clear, I am often wrong. So there's, there's, <laughs> no, there's no ego involved here. Yeah. But it was, it was um, you, don't, you can't take people's rights away from them. That was, always, that was always the assumption that we made. So when the Dobbs decision was leaked, not released, leaked. And you knew something was happening because Republicans, instead of celebrating, were complaining about it being leaked. Remember? Oh, yeah. That was, the, that was the first hint that, like, yeah, if they thought this was the political winner that they think it is, they would, like, I would be dancing in the streets if the Supreme Court said, you know what, D.C. is a state today. Right. Absolutely. Like, so they, they, they knew it was a problem right from the start. After the Dobbs decision was leaked, until the um, until the official release, there were six special elections. In those six special elections, Democrats outperformed the 2020 ticket plus three. So wow. we went from plus nine Republican to plus three Democratic, a 12-point shift literally overnight. I think that one of the things that you've been talking about and we've been talking about uh, like internally Regard that we're seeing reflected in these numbers is that the story that we hear over and over again is that conservatives feel disenfranchised, but this is the time where we can point to something and be like, no, our outrage is real. We're being disenfranchised. Yeah. Our rights are literally being taken away from us. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, they're still, they're still activated. Their turnout is still sky high. Oh, incredible. Uh, nobody's sure. pretending because they are, they are in the minority and they can, you know, literally they're in the minority, but so are we because the Supreme Court's in charge. That's what's changed. Like, it's not Joe Biden in charge. It's not the Democrats in the Senate in charge. It's the Supreme Court has decided. So to finish that last thought, 
in since the Dobbs decision was released, there have been four special elections since then. So we went from plus six Republican last year, plus nine Republican first half of this year, plus three Democratic after Dobbs was leaked. Since the decision came out, Democrats are outperforming the 2020 numbers by six points. By That's six incredible. Points. That is hold the House increase, uh, increase her majority in the Senate numbers. And, and so that gets us to New York 19, which was, was that last week? Time is weirdly compressed this summer. Uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yes. So New York 19 is, again, rural district, but has, you know, some, some, some uh, liberal, you know, hotspots like, like, uh, like Woodstock, like New Paltz, where uh, there's a state university in New York, like Hudson, which is like the fifth borough. Spent some right. time there this summer vacationing. It's, it's expensive. I'm still in shock. And <laughs> but uh, it's, a very, it's a very swingy, swingy district. So Joe Biden won it by two points, 50 to 48. So it's a very tight. So there are 222 Democratic-held seats that are bluer than New York 19. You need 217 to retain the majority. Right. So basically, if Republicans want to take the House, they have to win districts like this one. I mean, that's just the bottom line. It is tailor-made for them. Not only that, they spent money Democrats did not. Right. Democrats are like, this, this district is going away because it's been redrawn. It does not exist in January. So basically, whoever, wins this, whoever won this seat, Democrats won it, uh, spoiler alert, but whoever <laughs> won this seat is only sitting in that seat for, what, five months, four months, whatever January is. Right. And and so Republicans spent over a million dollars. Last I saw Democrats spent, I think it was like 80,000. I mean, it was it was so you have this massive funding disparity. Also, their best recruit in the entire country, the, the Republican recruit uh, ran statewide for governor. So he had name right. ID, uh, got blown out because it's New York, but won this district. So when he ran for governor, even though he got blown out statewide, he actually won New York 19th uh, in that run. So really, like, this and let's was not like, forget that the the special election happened because Antonio Delgado left uh, to take a place as I think lieutenant governor of New York, a position that doesn't famously have a lot of power. And a lot of the internal rumblings we covered this on the the down ballot was that one of the reasons he was leaving is that he did not think that he would be able to. I mean, this is you know rumblings yeah. he would yeah, not yeah. be able to hold on to that seat and so to see i i worked on the antonio delgado like i volunteered because i was living in new york at the time and i remember when he left i was devastated because i was like oh no that means we're losing new york 19 so then for this to be continuing the snowballing effect that we've been seeing since kansas has been really exciting to behold and i think at this point with so many special elections is a true pattern of what we might see in november yeah, and then what New York 19 did finally, which none of the other elections had done, is it finally sent a message to the political press, the political establishment, Mitch McConnell, all of them, right. that this is not a red wave year. It's a competitive year. Nobody should be, nobody should think otherwise, right? Like it's going to be a dogfight. But but right now we have, I think, an even chance to to hold the house. Hold the house is actually harder than the Senate. I think the Senate were looking really good to pick up one for sure, maybe two to three um, beyond that. So it's, uh, it's, it's a dramatic shift in the um, sort of political climate. And there's also that realization now from everybody like, oh, okay, like it should be a Republican year, but clearly 
because of abortion and because of Donald Trump, mostly abortion, but Donald Trump, Donald Trump reinforces doubts people have, which is, right. which is good. I don't think by himself he would, he would win a lot of those swing, suburban, college-educated voters, but all in the aggregate. And we've even seen some data. We're starting to see some polling, and I don't, I'm not sure I believe it yet, so, um, so I say this as an asterisk. But we're seeing now numbers that college-educated men are starting to shift. You know, it used to be like a 20-point Republican lead that it's actually now even, that they're shifting in our direction. So It's almost again, like men are affected by abortion rights. It's almost like, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's almost like crazy, it's, right? <laughs> and, you know, you had these Repo Democrats would be like, we need to talk about kitchen table issues. And it's like, what do you think having a baby is? It's, <laughs> I had two of them. They broke me. <laughs> They financially, <laughs> holy crap! I'd be like living on Easy Street. Like they're expensive. They're, you yeah, know, there's nothing more kitchen table than than kids. Yeah, and and it leads so, to every other issue, which is healthcare, which is education, which is like literally bringing life into a new generation of people. And somehow they haven't seen the ripple effect that it would have on every single kitchen table issue that this country has. <laughs> kitchen table issue yeah no and it's it's funny how you have to like bring democrats kicking and screaming but they, they've gotten the message and yeah. Kara, they've gotten the message so clearly that it's they're like gleefully going after republicans and this is the amazing thing like we've been definitely we, we've had some coverage on this at daily coast and it's just mind-blowing mind to me republicans are deleting their pages on abortion on from their websites there and they're trying oh democrats are lying about my record and it's like we literally don't have to lie about the record because they spent 50 years yeah. talking about how they were going to make it illegal. And there, there was a House candidate, I think, up in Michigan who said, we, we're just focusing on the issues that are that are salient at the moment. And we're because we're going to pretend that we just took away the rights of women and uh, to. To basically make the medical decisions and, and plan their families, uh, not just women, everybody, everybody took away the rights of everybody to make those decisions. And the issue is no longer salient. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's actually fascinating to see those Republicans squirm. And as of this last week, we're actually seeing that with Donald Trump, too. Like, right. they're not really defending him that hard anymore. Oh, he, he, he stole how many secrets and how many of them were top secret, including ones that related to in human intelligence assets in our overseas uh, locations. So basically you know, are, are, you know, spies that may be in danger and, and, oh, he was asked three times to return them and he refused and okay, let's, uh, you know, and it, what's great is that they can't defend them. They don't mm -hmm. want to defend them anymore, but anytime they stick their necks out anywhere where there's media, they're going to be asked about Donald Trump. Like nobody's asking about gas prices. Nobody's asking about inflation. They all want to talk about abortion. They want to talk about Donald Trump. This entire election is on our favorable turf. Right. And on top of that, what's favorable to them is less and less favorable every day, right? Gas prices are coming down. Inflation is ebbing. And Joe Biden's numbers are going up. Yeah. This is crazy. <laughs> it's also just nice to see... Um, you know, uh, we see glimmers of Joe Biden do this every once in a while, but every... Every few months, unfortunately, I feel like he does it quarterly. He decides to come out and have what I call like a West Wing moment where he's like, I'm just going to have a great week and everyone's going to be blown <laughs> away by this. 
<laughs> and then I'll disappear for three more months. And this happens, we happen to be on the tails of a very good week for him, um, where things are going his way, where he's being action oriented. Um, I do want to talk about student debt because yes. for me, that's the cherry on the top of a really, really good week. I saw a lot of progressives. Oh. The cherry on top. I thought it was the start of the good week. Okay, so so lay it out. Lay out that week. Well, I mean, I wanted to talk about like New York 19 and then IRA like passing, right? With the Inflation Reduction Act, which was, this all happened within August, I feel like. I think it was IRA, New York 19, and then student debt cancellation. And so the Inflation Reduction Act was a huge, wonderful thing that came through, which also is like low-key an environmental bill, which isn't all-encompassing and perfect, but... As Democrats, we have to be better about not letting perfect be the enemy of the good. You talked about this in your Netroots, um, in your Netroots keynote, speech. Keynote. Yeah, in your yeah. Netroots keynote, where you talked about how we complain about cinema and mansion. And it's like, we used to have so many of those. Now we only have like two, you know, like we're coming forward into realizing that there is an environmental crisis, that there is a student debt crisis. So that comes through. It's a huge, wonderful bill. People are pretty happy about it. It's a big win for environmentalists. New York 19 happens, and then student debt cancellation. And student debt cancellation, although I'm going to continue to push for full cancellation because that's the kind of activist and progressive that I am, this executive action is huge. First of all, Joe Biden from January of 2021 was saying that he wasn't even sure if this was a legal thing that he could do, and he's just now decided we're doing it. Um, it is $10,000 and then $20,000 for anyone who has ever had even a cent of a Pell Grant. That is what it says. So oh, wait, I did. Whoa, wait, what? Yes. <laughs> if you it is $10,000 student debt forgiveness. And then if you've ever gotten any amount in a Pell Grant, it is $20,000. Oh, I thought it was just a Pell Grant side. It's the whole amount. Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> How, do you know what percentage of borrowers have Pell Grants? Uh, I don't know that on my fact sheet. I don't know that on my fact sheet, but um, it, it, I mean, the, I'm looking right now through the website and I really recommend people reading the white house gov uh, like document on it because it is extremely accessible. There's wonderful, like just facts that you might not know. I found out that I was getting $20,000 because of this white house resource. Oh, um, congratulations. Thank this, you. This, I'm this very money bags over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Money bags. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's also raising the amount of income that is considered non-discretionary income. And then is therefore like protected from your repayment, which is wonky stuff <clears> that <throat> doesn't super matter to most people, but it, it does matter long-term. And for folks who are making like their income repayment program, like if they're doing the minimum payment, um, that they can do based on their income after 10 years your debt's just forgiven like Holy the real shit. wait what yeah, no 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 the the devil is in the details on the fact sheet of this uh of this wait, amazing that, cancellation that one, that one got snuck in and nobody wait, really? <laughs> well that's the thing when you do an executive action you don't have to pass this stuff through congress no one's gonna read it and then all of us <laughs> activists who have been doing it are like wait this is a big deal um, especially when it comes to compounding interest and all the things. I cannot recommend it enough. I'm going to include it in here, the fact sheet of the White House. This is massive. The The rippling effects that this will have. I mean, Axios today, I was tweeting about it earlier, <laughs> titled uh, uh, an article, despite what critics may say, student loan debtors who stand to benefit most from the relief plan announced last week aren't exactly latte-sipping elites. No fucking shit. Like, I just... <laughs> 
sorry. News flash. <laughs> breaking. Breaking also, news. Also, in the White House fact sheet, they label the student debt crisis as a racial justice issue, which is what me and every single activist on the debt front who is a person of color have been saying forever. Black people, brown people, immigrants, first-generation students are the most impacted by student debt, women as well. And now we are seeing something that is going to radically change what we can do with our lives. Like, I literally am like, oh my God, I'll be able to get married. How exciting for me. It is- Congratulations, by the thank way. Thank you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got a ring? Yes, I did get engaged. Um, and so it, I'm seeing this, I'm having these conversations with so many of my friends. And then also um, October 31st, I'm gonna say this right now for everyone who's listening who might have student debt, you can sign up to see if you qualify for additional cancellation, which is just if you've worked in a nonprofit in the last like 10 years, Years or any of that, you can sign up on the website and you can figure out what additional cancellation you might be if you've worked in the public sector at all. So this is a snowball for me. One of my friends texted me the morning of the student debt cancellation cancellation, and he said, um, the only people whose opinions I cared about were you and Elizabeth Warren if they were happy with this plan. <laughs> and you both are. <laughs> so- okay. All right. <laughs> So, Kara, let me let me ask you this then. So, yeah. at at the beginning of it, there was a lot of grumbling. Oh, only ten thousand dollars. I know. Right? Yeah, and, and people. I mean, there was a lot of selective ignoring the twenty thousand Pell Grant component, yeah. right? But there there was a lot of grumbling. Mm-hmm. As people are, people still grumbling, or is there more of a realization that holy shit, this this is more substantive than ten thousand dollars? I think people are starting to realize it once we start paying back. <laughs> our student debt in January, which I'm still against. Um, But uh, we are supposed to start doing payments again in January. And I think once people realize how much their payments have dropped, it is going to dawn on them how much money is actually going to be in their pockets to continue to be able to do things. One of the most effective targeting things that the uh, messaging things that the White House has done is they have a, a graphic that talks about different tiers that you could be economically and what your monthly payments would look like. So it says something like a typical single construction worker making $38,000 a year with a construction management credential uh, would used to have to pay $147 a month for their student debt. Now it's going to be 31. Uh, A public school teacher making $44,000 a year used to have to make a 197 monthly payment. Now it's going to be $56 a month. A typical- what about a lesbian dance theorist? What 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 does their <laughs> numbers look like? You know, I went to women's college for two years, and I didn't get to major in lesbian dance theory, and I'm I'm upset about it. I'll be honest, because was that was that, was that Bobert who Lauren yes. Bobert who said that? So just just for context, Lauren Bobert obviously she's a QAnon um, representative from yes. um, very red Colorado district. She has a famous tweet where she says she was on welfare, but she worked hard to get off it. And I didn't need the government to make right. my way. Sure. She was on welfare. <laughs> so this is who we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she was really concerned about lesbian dance theory majors um, um, and, you know, getting a break over construction workers. Right. Uh, which was weird too, because she's sort of acting like construction people don't actually get sort of vacations and go to trade school and spend money under education. So it's actually a very weird uh, attack. So Republicans, that's her attack line is, is um, you know, forget like tax cuts for the billionaires. That's, that's kosher. Right. Everything's cool. But, but oh my God, some, you know, a, a working class person who went to college 
now doesn't have to pay back their debt when poor old person over here without one um, doesn't get that benefit, right? That's the argument. How do you think that's landing? I don't think it's landing. I think that more and more people know plenty of extremely educated people who are not uh, whatever they call us, latte sipping elites <laughs> or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, these outdated terms are really next level, but I, I don't think it's landing. Drinking lattes. Like, who's not <laughs> drinking latte this time? It's also like, imagine being like, yeah, actually, I want to live in an uneducated society. Uh, that sounds great because advances in medicine and advances in science and engineering and even the arts, like they don't benefit from college. It, it, it is not landing. All of these people want their kids to go to college. Americans want their children to go to college. Yeah. And what is also yeah. great about this executive action is that it is investing in students right now. My younger brother is currently in college, public school, my alma mater, UCF in Orlando. It is the biggest state school in the country. And he is going to get a $20,000 relief because of this. And he's still getting his degree. And that's the other fact, too, that it, for the people who are uh, making, I think it's like 40% of people who have student debt didn't get a degree. They are the ones who are benefiting the most. It's something like 90% of the people who are who didn't get a degree who are part of that 40% um, yeah. are getting pretty much all of their student debt wiped out. So there is one argument that I totally that I totally buy, and it's not an argument against relief, but it's an argument against the whole system, is, is that every time that um, financial aid is increased, the university system, colleges, they, right. they increase their tuition to suck up that money, right? The, the unaffordability of college to me is, is a crisis right now. I mean, I paid... For my undergrad, I was I it was, you know it's a it was a Northern Illinois University like you know crappy little Midwestern state school, uh, but I got a good I got a good I shouldn't say crappy I mean I got a good education and it set me up well for for my for my life and yeah but I paid it was like thirty five hundred bucks a year <laughs> now this is nineteen ninety you know nineteen ninety two and now at UCF I was credit hour. I was like, I was at UCF, which is pretty much the same thing, but in Florida as what you're describing, it was about seven to 8,000 a semester. <laughs> yeah. And what years did you go through? Uh, 2009 to 2013. So, okay, so yeah, decade, just, just a decade, decade later. And, and so when you, a lot of these people, I work my way through college. Yeah. Cause it costs what I paid. I, I could work my way through college. Also, I've also worked my way through college. <laughs> A lot of us did. And it doesn't it doesn't add up like it just the money is not there. And to your point about the the universities just sort of sucking up and hiking up the tuition, I will continue to praise this executive action, because in it, there is this line about just making community college free. I haven't read any reporting about that. But if that is going to come through, and we are seeing some states that have already done it, that is going to put state universities uh, to really have to up the ante into trying to convince students to get themselves to go to a four-year university instead of doing two and two or just getting a two-year degree. Because oh, yeah. I, I did community college for a while and it was 
I got an excellent education. Community colleges also deeply invest into their communities that they are in. They allow people who are trying to have like second chances, whether it's, you know, they're trying to boost their career later in life or they've been incarcerated or they were young mothers, what have you. And so that is also something that I see that the Biden administration is thinking about. Because if you, aren't we supposed to be the country about competition? If you are allowing, uh, if the government is subsidizing education for at least the first two years, then I, it's going to be a tougher sell to get kids to want to, because it's true, they are children when they are making the decision to put themselves through four years of university, to make the decision to go somewhere that's more expensive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what, you know, is NYU at $60,000 a year in tuition, God. are they, are they going to be able to compete? And maybe they are because there's enough rich people, but their student body is not going to be reflective of anything resembling America. And right. maybe they don't care. I don't know. But it, it, to me, it's distressing from an equity standpoint. Uh, from my own, like I, I see, you know, I was an immigrant. I didn't, I didn't have resources. I joined the army to pay for, for school. And army benefits back then, GI Bill was 500 bucks a month. It wasn't exactly, you know, nowadays it's, it's a lot nicer. Uh, but still, like I had to, you know, I worked and I did. And it was, I could make it happen. But I had to do these, you know, I had to get creative to make it happen. And, and I look at how much college costs today. And as a, you know, son of immigrants an immigrant myself, it would have been a lot harder. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's distressing to me to think of people that are in sort of where I was back then before I was able to make a career, not have as easy options as I did back mm -hmm. then. So that's, that's my big worry. It's, it's, and that's, I mean, it's a good argument in the sense of that it points to just how broken the, the university higher education system is where, well, okay, you forgive 20,000 now, but what does that mean for the next generation? Yeah. yeah. Good question. Like that's uh, it's a legitimate now, but Kara, what happens if you do things like student loans, but there's no interest that changes yeah. the dramatically, right? Yeah. Now, universities and colleges may hike up their rates to account for that and suck up even more money. That's again, part of the challenge, but um, I hope, I hope if we take control of, of, of like real control of the Senate and hold a house and we get to do all sorts of great things. I hope, I hope higher education is something that Democrats spend some time on. I sure. think that to bring this to the full circle of what we were talking about in the beginning, uh, I have come on this show many times to talk about how Joe Biden, I think that's like my main sticking point. I have a stump speech now about Joe Biden needs to cancel student debt. How can he count <laughs> on young voters if Joe Biden doesn't cancel student debt? Student debt, student debt, student debt. And I do see that young voters are re-engaging, both with Roe, always Roe. I think Roe is going to be the, 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 the thing that we can credit to the most to what happens in November. Because like you said, we were supposed to get obliterated. And now it's looking like we might be able to pull down what we've got and maybe even make a couple of advances. Um, but student debt relief, I can now point to that and say to every single person my age and younger and be like, what are you talking about? You haven't benefited from this president. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. If, if you have attempted to go to school or if you have been putting off going to school, this is opening those doors of opportunity for you. And that is so key. Also, there's been a lot of really good reporting on this, that the White House wasn't super keen on doing this for many, for many, many, many months. And it was activists and the work of organizers that really pushed this to go through, along with people who we have in office who have always been champions of us, like, you know, Elizabeth Warren, for example, yeah. who's been running on student debt since she's been in office, basically. But um, we 
can see that our government does things for us. <laughs> like that is something Crazy. that many Americans still don't understand. And, and you're not like, even a billionaire. Right. I know. <laughs> barely. Crazy. Barely. <laughs> so, you know, one of the, so when Joe Biden, we're almost out of time, but when yeah. Joe Biden was uh, in the high thirties, um, not very popular. What, what people didn't realize is, is where he was losing support, right? Because after right. the election, it was 50-50. We're a 50-50 country. So mm -hmm. any president nowadays will max out like at 48%. Yeah. Um, so where did he lose? He didn't lose amongst Republicans. They hated him from day one. Democrats, um, by and large, most self-identified Democrats stuck with him. I mean, he went from 98 in like civics polling. He went from like 92% approval to like 82. So he went down for sure. But relatively minor. It was young, unaffiliated voters. That was the biggest drop in his support. If you look at any trend lines, it was young. Like, they were like, F this. Like, yeah. what, what was the point? Yeah. And I do wonder how much Joe Manchin played into Joe Biden waiting because had this happened before the hand, you know, Joe Biden, oh, inflation. And, and he would have more reason to sabotage the, uh, the, the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. So it was, I think it was strategic in, in hindsight. I get it now. I, okay, get, finally get Manchin to sign off on that freaking bill, mm -hmm. sign that sucker, and then go ahead and, and do the goody stuff. But um, the increase in his support is mostly coming from unaffiliated uh, young voters. And that's what's going to get him back up. And, and he's being more aggressive he called Republicans semi-fascists. You know, we, we didn't need a semi, but it was still, everybody had the vapors, you know, yeah. the, the, DC, the DC establishment, you know, acted like it was, it was some kind of, I don't know, Donald Trump is saying, you need to install me as president today. And they're like, he called him a semi-fascist. So When Biden was asked about student debt, whether it was fair for people who had already canceled their student debt, who had already paid off their student debt to have, then have this cancellation for other people, he turned around to the news and said, uh, is it fair for all of these people who are in student debt that they are having to like bail out billionaires? Like he said something to that effect. And yeah. I was like, like real populism, not, not the fake Republican populism. <laughs> Holy crap. Like, yeah, no. So that's actually a good, we'll get, we're going to end the show right there. That's a yeah. good place to end it. Um, things are looking up. The, the election today is it's a 50, 50 affair. This is not by any means. Um, we're not going to lose this. We're not going to win this. It's all to be determined and it's going to be determined by how much effort and work we all put into getting Democrats everywhere up and down the ballot across the line. So the early, the early results are looking very promising and it's our job as activists to help fuel. We have the, the kindling. We need to help fuel that increase in engagement and attention and uh, getting your friends and your family and your coworkers, your entire, entire social circle to realize what's at stake, democracy, our very own privacy rights getting them to, to donate, getting them to knock on doors, all the things that democracy entail. That's our job. We have been given a new lease on life that should not have been competitive. And thanks to Donald Trump, thanks to the Supreme Court and Clarence Thomas, we have an opportunity to not just uh, win in November, but reshape the very sort of core um, elements of elections. People realizing abortion is always on the ballot and that government can make our lives better, protect our rights, and do things like student debt relief. In so many things, if we have a real functioning majority, not the Joe Manchin, Carson Cinema type. So that's our job. So excited. We're going to, we got a couple months. We got like two months left, just about, a little bit more. 
And we got to carry this thing across the line. So that's going to be our job. And I'm excited that you guys are fighting with us, that you're here, that you're part of this movement, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to do it. I'm feeling very confident. Kara, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me today. It's been Thanks. my pleasure. I, I also wanted to say we are really excited to be back on the air. Our producer flagged for us that uh, we should talk about how we're going to be retooling the brief and it's going to come back bigger and better than ever now that we're recording again. So I'm so excited to be back and to be being able to talk to you and then also work behind the scenes for the rest of the year. Yeah, thanks to Walter and Dorothy and Paul and everybody behind the scenes. Did I miss somebody? I always miss somebody and I feel terrible after the fact. Uh, thanks everybody that makes this happen. And thanks you, the viewer and listener, for joining us and being part of this movement to save our democracy and hopefully expand on what is possible uh, for all of our people. So thanks a lot. Catch you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week. <laughs>